You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 46 of our show where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and more. We're recording on Thursday, December 11th, 2015. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and with me is my esteemed colleague, Mikey Campbell. Mikey, how are you? Pretty good, sir. Fantastic. I want to jump right in. We've got a lot to cover. Let's go through this. Let's talk Apple TV. So the Apple TV App Store gains over 400 apps each week, and nearly half of all of them are games, the data shows. That seems like a lot, doesn't it? Um, well, what are you comparing it to? Are you comparing it to iOS? Or are you comparing it to another uh, smart TV platform? I'm, I'm just thinking that, that 400 a week feels like a big number. I'm not really comparing it to anything, but that says that there are over 2,600 apps, an average of about 447 new ones each week. And this data comes to us from App Figures blog, which I'm, showed that there's basically steady growth, right? Yeah. I mean, I see that the developers want to get on Apple TV. I mean, how many of those 400 apps are substantial titles, you know? Right. I'll give you that. It's it's um, just as the regular app store for iOS has got a number of apps that you would probably never want to download. People are easily updating stuff. It may not be the premium things yet. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, it brings up another topic of um, surfacing good apps on Apple TV, which I think is kind of difficult still. They haven't really worked it out yet. Yeah. Uh, They added the category section. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like when I go in into the app store on TVOS, it's just I see I either I see either the same apps over and over again, or I mean, it's just like I'm lost. And it's difficult. Discoverability is hard, man. It's it it's made even harder when you're not um, when you're not directly interacting with the uh, user interface, like you're doing it with a remote. Yeah, you're separated from the interface, even though you've got the touch panel yeah, on the you remote, gotta, you are you to, not yeah. touching your TV directly. Right, right. I mean, so it's that added, you know, milliseconds, right, to reach over and touch something. But it does make a difference when you're browsing thousands of apps. Well, I, what I want is a different way of sorting. You know, I I like the games. I want to get games for my Apple TV. And my problem is that I want to be able to search for games that are compatible with controllers and are multiplayer with local controllers. There are a bunch of games that say they're multiplayer, but they're multiplayer online with other players elsewhere in the world or crazy stuff like that. I want to know that I can bring two controllers and play locally, and it's impossible to know that, and it's impossible to search for that. Yeah, I mean, they should do... um they should take some cues from the gaming industry and maybe uh, label each app with like a small icon. I mean, they have the space, right? They're on, they're on, it's on a TV now, so they don't have. To, they can be liberal with their uh, with their tick marks or something. Like make a. I would. I would like to see search for games. Search for games that support multiplayer and be able to see instead of just the icon for one controller, show me the icon for two controllers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and let me search for that. 
My my wants aren't crazy. They're simple demands. <laughs> do, do you have uh, a controller? Uh, I have three controllers, actually. I have two of the Mad Cats CTRLI, and I have one of the Steel Series Nimbus. I don't have one. The Steel Series, if you do get one, the Steel Series is very, very good. The controls on it, the joysticks on it, feel like quality. The um, the the placement and the the feedback that you get from the buttons is very good. It charges via lightning. The Mad Cats doesn't have that same feel. It's hard to quantify, but the joysticks don't feel quite as smooth. Is is the best uh, way I can characterize it? Yeah. Have you ever but, opened one up? You know, I haven't. Oh yeah. So they use um they use these very well. I'm not sure about the Mad Cats and stuff, but I mean. I used to take apart my PlayStation controllers to see um, no. what's inside. No. Yeah. Yes. Dual shock. Um, yeah, but it depends on how they make them. Um, some of them have, I don't think the Mad, the Mad Cats has a full analog uh, joysticks on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could be the springs that they're using and depend if they use like a, metal washers instead of plastic washers plastic washers sometimes are they kind of bind and stuff right but i don't know whatever cost savings well, what i like about the mad cats is that it's four triple four double a's and it has a thing that comes off of the back of it in the center of the controller between the the a and b and r and l rockers uh, and um it allows you to mount an ipad or an iphone if you so desired um, I've never used that part of it. I like using it with the Apple TV, but it's nice that it's it's really designed to be that flexible. Yeah, yeah. You have know, you, it comes down to if you put rechargeable batteries or, or alkalines. I kind of like the alkalines, but right. I have a whole bunch of batteries. It's sort. When are we going to get rid of those things? You know. Well, not not yet. Yeah, I know. But, uh, <laughs> look, we, we got a story about batteries later on in the show. Stay tuned. Um, right. but, but about the Apple TV, you know, the, uh, it looks like a lot of the apps that are coming for it are sticking to, uh, charging users for apps, mm-hmm. right? Free to play and ad supported or in-app purchase is the way that people seem to monetize for, for iPhone. Mm-hmm. But with Apple TV, it looks like every game is hitting you up for two ninety nine or 99 or four ninety nine or ten ninety nine. Um, there's some out there that this study says are as high as fifty nine ninety nine. What's the app that's fifty nine ninety nine? Do you know that? I have not seen it. We got to find that. Hmm. I'm, I'm yes, not against someone the, charging fifty nine dollars for an app. Uh, I just want to know what it is. <laughs> Zuzuvela for TVOS or something. <laughs> Vuvuzela. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to know what that one is. We haven't found it yet, but we will. I mean, well, I don't. Know. That's kind of smart. I think. I mean, I'm not sure that they're planning it this way, but would you want to be bombarded with in-app purchases when you're sitting on your couch watching TV? Oh, God, no. Yeah. I mean, it's too close to... Uh, the. I think the association in your brain is too close to TV, and when there's something out of the ordinary, like an in-app purchase, I think it something clicks. And well, I don't there was this old patent really a couple disturbed. years ago, right? There's a patent that used to be something like uh, they would pause the show, and if you didn't stand up and do jumping jacks, 
while McDonald's ad was on, they wouldn't oh, yeah, resume. Yeah, yeah. You remember that? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, it's it's not a far leap from in app purchases to continue playing your game to uh to to standing up and doing jumping jacks for McDonald's to continue your show. Yeah, right, right. Crazy. So the other part of the Apple TV story that I want to talk about right now is about the Apple remote. Specifically, the Apple TV OS was updated to 9.1, and the Apple Remote app, both for iOS and Apple Watch, is now compatible with Apple TV. Thank God. Are you happy? So happy. How happy are you? Um, very, very happy. Can you, can you tell in my voice how happy I am? I can tell you're ecstatic. So excited. Well, I mean, we know that it sucks that there's no Bluetooth keyboard support for this, just because entering in your password for everything is terrible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, no, it's it's gotten to the point. Well, before the update, it, it was it was to the point where, uh, I would I would download an app or whatever, and if it if I saw a keyboard, I would just close it because it's ridiculous. I mean, it's just so not Apple to have something something like that. I mean, they they changed it. The grid format was not good. You, you know what I'm talking about? The old uh, right, uh, the, grid style. The four layout. wide, you know, the five yeah. wide by nine <clears throat> tall or whatever it was. Right, but swiping back and forth across, uh, what is this? It's, uh, I don't know. It's Let me, alphanumeric, right? It's alphanumeric, so more than it's, 26. It's alphabet 26 across and then number row below that and symbol and row special, below that. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, so swiping I back get along and forth better with much. that than I do with the grid. Really? I do. I, I know you're going to disagree with me, but the thing that annoyed me about grid was that it doesn't wrap around. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, the grid doesn't or the, uh, the, the grid, the grid doesn't man. If you hit the right side of the grid, you're on the right side and you have to left back off of it. You can't write and get to the other side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I want it to play like Pac-Man so I can go ahead and, and swipe right and get back to where I need to. Yeah. That whole, the whole, uh, soft keyboard for, Apple TV is just, I don't know, so terrible. I, I think my comment is that being the best of a bad bunch of solutions is still bad. I, I would say that Apple's done a really good job at trying to be the best soft keyboard because I've tried a bunch of them. You know, I had that Amazon Fire Stick that I've talked about before. I've had other things that have had soft keyboards. And and they're almost all universally terrible. And the Apple one was better, but not good. And yeah. I'm pretty good with swiping, man. I can swipe with some accuracy, but I don't want to have to do it. I mean the so the, uh, the accelerator, the accelerated um, UI, right? Acceleration. You, you swipe faster, yeah. and it swipes further across for right. you. Yeah. Or if you swipe like just a bit of the uh, of the, you kind of just touch the touchpad. Well, what I've got to do is trying to I mean, roll my good. thumb across it like I'm giving a fingerprint, and when I do that, then I get really accurate. Hmm. Gotta but, try that. No but one I should have to know that is my problem. Yeah, right, right. Well, I guess we don't have to worry about that anymore. With uh, Praise the gods of Cupertino. We have the Apple Remote app. We can do it from our phones. Yeah, good. Excellent. On to a topic that I love to talk about, payment systems. Yes, I'm a payment nerd, and I'm terrible about it. But you know that I like talking about Apple Pay. And Walmart, in their infinite wisdom, has decided to launch a rival system to Apple Pay. Indeed. Now they they've been a part of one before, right? What were they doing before? What do you mean? It was oh, currency. Yeah, currency, yeah. which we all made fun of, rightfully Clever. so. Clever. Yeah. Well, they're well, still doing it. 
I mean, they're but this part current of- thing is not currency. This current N- thing is is a currency, and it's QR code based. And the the currency was QR code based. Yeah. Well, currency is uh, in beta still. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, Walmart is part of that MCX merchant consumer or whatever customer exchange consumer merchant consumer. I don't know. Anyway, they're part of that right. consortium and they're still backing currency. Uh, so I guess whenever, if and when currency actually comes out, they'll be supporting that as well. But they're pushing okay, their so this Walmart, is pay, the um, Walmart pay. And Walmart harder. pay is integrated into Walmart's mobile app, which, by the way, I, I got to say, they updated the app over the past few days. Mm-hmm. And the new app icon has a Santa hat on it. Cute. Very classy move. But Walmart Pay is integrated into Walmart's mobile app. And so you can pay with any credit card, debit card, or preloaded Walmart gift card. So here's why I'm going to end up using Walmart Pay, even though I'm not really excited about using Walmart Pay, is that when you shop with the Walmart app, what you do, you go to Walmart, you shop, which first of all, I know some of our listeners probably don't. Our European listeners don't. They shop at Asda if they're in the UK. And the there, there are people that simply on principle won't shop at Walmart. But if you shop at Walmart... Get the app. You go, you buy. At the end, you get the receipt, and the receipt has a QR code on it and a traditional barcode. You scan that into the savings catcher section of the of the the Walmart app, and it searches all of the deals from stores all around. You'll search like 46 other stores to see which items on your receipt were cheaper elsewhere, and then they will price match. Mm, yeah, and then they go ahead good. and put the yeah. priced matched money into a gift card in the app. And I've tried to do this before where you take the gift card and show them the gift card number and they touch it into the number pad on their their uh, point of sale machine. Right. And it's a giant pain in the ass for effectively saving five or 10 bucks. And so if they use the QR code for that and they can scan it and it works, then fine, they've made a, an improvement. But I don't really want to load my credit and debit cards into there and pay through it that way. Right. You know, that's that's not where I'm at. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it is good for Walmart customers, right? I mean, it, it sounds like an easy thing. Easy. Uh, it doesn't well, really what would be better for Walmart customers would be simply, you know, doing Apple Pay and putting the Walmart gift card into a store loyalty card and passbook. I mean, um, well, wallet. But then Walmart wouldn't be in charge of everything, of the, the process. I mean, that's where they're wanting to go, right? I, I correct me if I'm wrong. I thought that the reason that they were doing this stuff is because they didn't want to pay transaction fees to Visa, even though they're already getting the lowest in the business for them. Wasn't that part of what this fight is about? Uh, yes. Well, behind the scenes, yes. But really, it's about the, it's about the consumer, Victor. They're thinking about the customer. Tell me more about this thinking about the customer. I don't know, because that's about all they. That's about as deep as they go. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, I mean. It is obviously a play against um, processors and the middlemen. Um, and if any retailer can pull off uh, a coup, it would be Walmart. They have enormous, enormous reach. So I think uh, we might see this uh, translate into um, either leverage against, against Visa for even lower or no fees. Hmm. And... Um, or just a replacement altogether one day. Right. I, I'm i placing my weight behind Apple Pay. I don't think that, that currency or Walmart pay. 
I would be surprised if it were wildly successful. The you Walmart, that verdict? Wal- Wal- Walmart pay? Or yeah. Apple pay? Uh, um, I don't know. Let I mean, me be very it, clear. It, I believe in Wal- in Apple pay. I'm not convinced about Walmart pay. Define wide, uh, wildly successful. I'm sure a lot of people are going to use this. Are you? you? You think that there are a lot of people that are going to use this? Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people like you or are like you or I in that they care about um, mobile payment technology and all that stuff. They well, just care first of all, mobile works. payment technology is not a, a, a big thing anyway, right? It's still cash, and especially at Walmart, it's still cash. And so... Well, it's interesting about the Walmart one is that you can also pay with cash, right? It's also, it's like, it's a, uh, it's kind of like a, not over the top, but I mean, it's just like a supplement to their loyalty card, I suppose, where you can uh, ring in and then pay with cash. They don't really have a loyalty card, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, someday maybe they will. I don't know. Here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll, I, I'm I'm a little bit tepid on it, but I'm going to end up using it just by virtue of of savings catcher in the Walmart app. And mm. when I use it, I'll come back and we'll talk about it then. Indeed, yes, we will. Speaking about more of Apple's competitors, Tim Cook said in a statement that Apple will not race Google to the bottom of the education market, and he calls Chromebooks test machines. Mm-hmm. Now you wrote this story. Mm-hmm. This was at an Hour of Code educational coding session in New York that he said this. Now, Hour of Code is this idea that students everywhere should be exposed to programming. And you can learn a little bit about what it is to program within an hour and using uh, Scratch programming language, essentially. It's a pretty cool thing. I've, I've had my children go through the Hour of Code sessions, and they're awesome. So Cook says that Chromebooks are test machines. Um, what do you think about that? You agree? I'm not really familiar with, uh, Chromebooks in education. You might be having kids, right? Do mm-hmm. you see that at your, um, at your kids' schools? Yeah, actually at one of my daughter's schools, they do have Chromebooks. They do use them for education. They use Google docs. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, the benefit is that it, well, it's partly, it's basically the benefit of Google docs and a Chromebook, right? The Chromebook doesn't have local storage. So, if something happens to the machine, you close it or throw it away and you pick up another one. Yeah. They're, they're almost disposable because there's nothing saved on it. You just grab another. And because Google Drive and Docs and Sheets and all of those things are all cloud-based, you just sign in and keep going. And my daughter came home and she said, I have to use mommy's laptop. I have to sign into Chrome. I have to, use, I have, to have the laptop. And I said, no, you don't. What do you, what do you mean I don't? And I installed the, the Google apps on her iPad mini, the, the docs and sheets and presentations or slides as they call it. And she was able to do all of the work that she was doing in class, picked up right at home on the iPad and finished the group assignment. So they're basically, so uh, our education publication uh, publishers, are they creating software that um, interfaces with Google docs or is it just like a, PDFs and stuff. Um, the the class stuff that she's doing is all just document based type stuff that you could have done on any computer. Uh-huh. And what I'm I'm not seeing a lot of from educational publishers is stuff focused on Chromebook exactly, but it's it's all around helping the teacher understand you know their 
their curricula and mm-hmm. managing it all through docs, managing it all through these kinds of things. Um, you know, obviously anything that's going to run on a Chromebook has to run in the browser mm-hmm. and it's possible to do extensions for the browser and the Chromebook can handle most of those. It's, um, but there's not a whole lot of richness there to it. Yeah. The, I mean, the apps or the web apps that they're going to be running on there won't have the depth of uh, something built you know, on a proper platform, right? Well, I'm not sure I agree with that because you can do a heck of a lot in the web, uh, especially, and this is going to be interesting, right? A lot of stuff's been made with Node.js, uh-huh. right? A, a lot of rich things have been done in Ajax over the years. Uh, the, these are you know, fancy names for different kinds of web technologies that allow you to do rich things in the browser. Mm-hmm. And with Apple's Swift, you could do rich things in the browser too. So there's there's no reason mm-hmm. why the browser has to be the limitation. It's just that no one's gone deep enough thinking about the paradigm of what what this should be and what should be done so that the computer enhances the curriculum and is a part of it deeply as opposed to being, here's a tool, we're going to use it for file storage. Mm. And, and I would say that on the iPad side of it, that there's a lot of work there as well. Now, you can do some great stuff with education with an iPad at the same time. I would say that that the danger is there too. If you don't have good guidance about it, you know, if you're not using iTunes U, if you're not using some of the tools that are out there, then you run into the same questions, right? And and iBooks yeah. haven't exactly iBooks for education has that taken off in a big way? I, I don't, don't I don't know. think that it has. I think it's still early days. Yeah, I mean, there are uh, teachers who do create their uh, course courses on there, right? Mm-hmm. So. I mean, it's uh, it's easy to do, I guess, but it, at the same time, I don't know how many schools are going to be adopting it. But if you create your curriculum for your specific class on iPad, how is that going to jibe with the rest of your institutions? You know, and what if you were just one teacher out of an island in a sea of Chromebooks? Yeah, I think that. This is still very early days. You know, we, we know that Apple and IBM announced in June an experimental expansion to the Mobile First for iOS initiative. So they're, they're looking into how to use apps and services to provide teachers with real-time student data analytics. Yeah. Um, it, I, I, think, I think Cook said it best, right? Cook said, the next step is getting the schools over time to make it a requirement. We're hoping to get their curiosity up and then get the system basically to take the next step. So, well, so it's, about, it's pretty well, acknowledged. For, I mean, for that, he was talking about coding. Right. But I, I would say that, well, he's talking about coding specifically, that mm-hmm. it expands to every part of the curricula when you're talking about um, bringing the iPad or bringing the computer. I mean, if you if you look at this, what, what are the requirements for computer competency in the schools? And... Uh, they're they pretty much, can you do documents? Can you do basic spreadsheet stuff with calculations? Um, can you manipulate a database? Right? Mm. Yeah. It's, it's not an amazing set of, of core competency testing for this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It, the requirements are very old. And in fact, I was seeing technology classes that quizzed on the history of computing and they were talking about things as if they were modern and they're still talking about floppy disks. Mm. I saw uh, I saw a list of things to buy for school come home a few years ago and it had floppy disks on it. I sent my kid with a USB drive because I know better. Indeed. So 
I, I believe this stuff is coming. It's just um, coming slowly. Yeah. Well, it's been coming for a long time. Mm-hmm. It has been coming for a long, long time. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, the school that I used to, uh, that I went to, I think, I think they're, well, I mean, they were all Mac when, when I was there. Mm. Uh, but I think they, it's pretty rare. Um, we're very progressive, very progressive, very, very spendy. Well, it was a, it was a private school. You had anyway. a school with a budget. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, we, so they were talking about when I was like in, I don't know, maybe third grade or something. They were talking about doing a, a laptop per child kind of thing. Um, and I think they actually started rolling that out a few years ago. So now I th- I'm pretty sure that all a, a few years after you're graduated. Yeah. Right. So I don't know, maybe uh, 10 years ago, maybe they started rolling out like a pilot. And I think, I think all kids have to have a MacBook there now. I don't think they moved to iPad yet. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure at a certain grade, they have to, uh, have to buy, well, they don't supply them. So you can have to buy your own MacBook. And I mean, if you're, if your entire school is built around that platform or Apple's iOS slash Mac OS platform, um, it makes for a, you know, a really good ecosystem. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think there's, when you, when you start going with like the Chromebooks and, uh, you know, those, um, those other devices that rely on the web as a platform. Yeah. Um, it becomes much more, uh, the, the, the waters become muddy. I think there's not that, that focus there. So I'm not sure what the right answer is. I don't, I don't know. I mean, both seem to have their, their benefits, but I don't know. I wouldn't count Apple out. I mean, they have decades of experience in education. So I, would trust them that they know what they're doing. Yeah. One of the interesting things, and this is, this is uh, something I know from experience is that one of the things that stops schools from choosing Apple as a provider for technology is sometimes the IT department. Mm. And it's, it's the IT people who get to make recommendations that can consider during purchasing decisions. And if they're trained in things like windows, they make recommendations for things that they're trained in because it's a part of, of, well, somewhat uh, employment security mm-hmm. and also what they know well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a task when they're instructed to take on something that they didn't really believe in. So for this, this kind of segues into my next ad read. <laughs> and this is, this it's true, you know, for some people, it is a task and not a career. So Bushel is sponsoring the Apple Insider podcast this week. And Bushel is a simple-to-use cloud-based tool that anyone can use to leverage and manage Apple devices in the workplace. Bushel allows you to easily set up and protect all the devices you distribute to your team or to those that your team already has. You can provide access to company email accounts, install work apps to devices individually or all at once, and separately protect your team's personal data from company data. And if a device is ever lost or stolen, you can remotely lock it or wipe it from company data completely. And you can access all of these features to easily manage your Apple devices wherever you want, whenever you are. 
Now that's that's kind of a way of of giving people the security that they feel they have with a Chromebook, for example. You know, the idea of the Chromebook is you can throw it away or wipe it remotely, and Bushel helps you manage Apple devices the same way. Uh, Bushel makes the complex simple, so you can focus on what matters most and take back your nights and weekends. Your first three devices are free forever, and additional devices are two dollars a month with no contracts or commitments. Learn more at bushel.com slash Apple Insider. So I'm thinking about this and imagining the tech department at a school employing something like this. And of course, it would have to pass budget, but the the idea that you could do that seems like it would be attractive. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Did, what, what, are your, what do your kids think about Chromebooks? They don't, do um, they, so they use the, the school's books that are provided and then they don't get to take them home. Correct. How it works. Oh, yeah. Okay. They're not taking them home. Oh, interesting. They're the, uh, they're the Samsung Chromebook from a couple of years ago. Cool. They like it, it or uh, kind of, I mean, I feel like she senses that it's slow, mm. but they're exposed to both. Right. I mean, at home they have iPad and Mac. And well, no, school. at home they have iPad. The Mac they're exposed to is my wife's Mac from 2008. Huh. That's okay. I have an admission to make to our listeners. My wife uses a 2008 MacBook, um, 13 inch in aluminum, running Snow Leopard 1068. Nice. I am. I am a bad husband. I've crippled my wife with this old computer. Some would. Uh, some would argue that those. Uh... Old OS tens are the best. Ten six eight was was stable, man. Ten six eight ten six eight sometimes gets compared to being the XP of Mac OS ten for its stability and yeah. longevity. I really haven't had any issues with that, but I'm always running. Well, not always, but I'm I'm pretty like one, one six months or a year off the latest hardware, so I can't speak to uh, how it works on legacy stuff, but. I really ten, haven't had any problems. Ten seven and ten nine a little bit were kind of like the Vista for me. They, you know, they were there and they worked, but things weren't quite dialed in. And ten eight got better, and and El Cap is pretty good. Yeah. Well, QA was going down the tubes. Yeah. Ten six eight was rock stable, man. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the kids are exposed to iPads. That's pretty much their deal. And Apple TV, and they love Apple TV. And uh, and one of them is really digging the new Apple TV. Really? Yeah. What do they like about it? The the uh, touchpad remote or the touchpad remote, um, which by the way is off limits to them for now. Uh, they're using the silver remote and the uh, the old white remote. They're off limits because I don't want them to drop the thing and crack the trackpad on it. <laughs> But I'm going to be getting a uh, a cover for it real soon, and they'll be able to use it then. Why, why don't you just buy the tether? We had an experience with Wii Motes with tether, and I'm just going to get the cover for it. Ah, uh, gotcha. So, talking about Apple TV, you know, one of the things that you and I have been talking about in the past is Apple streaming TV talks, and the idea that Apple's going to introduce their own streaming service. And uh, apparently, these talks seem to have fallen through. What do we know about that? Neil wrote a story this week, and Neil's not with us right now. But Neil wrote a story about yeah, Neil's in, Je- Neil's in a Jamaica, far off island nation. Yeah, how okay. dare he leave us here? Yeah, so it, it's been rumored for what years, five or more years, mm-hmm. that Apple would uh, come out with a over the top service, get a bunch of channels 
together streaming over the internet instead of uh, through cable pipe. Um, but apparently they put that on hold, right? They put that initiative, that entire plan on hold because... Because? Well, because why? Uh, because, because, because the people in charge at, at TV places are dorks. What, what happened, as I understand it, is, is that Apple wanted to push for a skinny bundle of channels. They wanted it priced less than $30 a month, and they wanted it to be something that basically users would appreciate, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need to buy hundreds and hundreds and only watch two. You need to buy the ones you want to watch. And Apple wanted to have a base package of maybe about 12 channels. They're more or less. And the content owners, that is the, the people with their networks, didn't want their networks to be left out. You know, you, you get ABC has all of the ESPNs and Disney and ABC Family and all of this. And Apple said, great, give us just the one. Mm-hmm. And if people want, they can opt in. And, you know, they, they were like, nope, we're taking our ball and going home. Can't have skinny bundle. Yeah. But I mean, they're moving towards that with tvOS, right? Uh, <clears throat> Eddie Q said um, basically that the appification of TV is um, go- is heading down that road. Yeah. Right. I mean, you've seen offerings like on demand um, apps from ABC and HBO. So, I mean, it, they're slowly chipping away at that wall. Um, and one day, I mean, it, it could happen. One day it might render the idea of a skinny bundle, bundle obsolete, right? When you have, mm-hmm. when you can get even more granular and pick which you know, specific channels you want. Um, the pricing might be there. It might be comparable or better than we, saw, we see some of that with sling TV, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. A bit. To a certain extent, but I think what Apple's going for is a wider, uh, I mean, a, obviously a wider selection, but I mean, something that's comprehensive mm-hmm. as far as uh, both broadcast and cable. So uh, Les Moonves, he, he said to Business Insider that he thinks Apple's putting the program on the back burner. Well, yeah, that's what he, that's what he heard, right? But right. I mean, yeah, he, but he's he, all for you know, they have conversations on it. He thinks that they've pressed the hold button. Yeah. He thinks they stopped negotiating months ago. Mm-hmm. However, he, uh, being the luminary that he is, he, uh, said that something like that will inevitably come about. I mean, it's just, uh, something that's going to happen. Mm, I, I suppose you could, uh, uh, an apt analogy would be iTunes, right? And the, well, digital music revolution. I mean, it seems to me that, that what Moonvest wants and what the content providers want is to put more networks into the package and at a higher price point. Of right? course. I mean, it's all about, yeah, you know, his, about his plan is that it has all of the four major traditional broadcast networks, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Your, your ABC, T, CBS, Fox, NBC. And then you put maybe 10 or so other channels in there and he wants to charge 40 bucks for it. All right. Well, what's the, uh, What's the proposition for Apple, though? Right? I mean, you you can make certain concessions and licensing, but and once you do, and people start switching over, then I mean, basically, you own that you own that uh, that that route, 
to content, right? Mm-hmm. Um, once they switch over, I mean, you, the uh, content owners or broadcasters kind of just lose control at that point. So is it worth maybe uh, negotiating negotiating down a bit and taking a initial hit? And then, you know, once you gain market control, it's game over. But I don't know. Comcast doesn't want their bubble popped, man. They, they're well, happy of course not. Bubble. I mean, they've, yeah, yeah. And they are a tough group, tough group, that much tougher are. than the uh, RIAA, I think. Oh, no, that's that's a tough call. Who is harder, Comcast, RIAA, like, MPAA, or, um, wow, that's a hard one. I feel like the uh, the tech companies are a bit more shrewd, and they maybe are a bit more cutthroat than the uh, the more traditional Um, associations. Wow. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like they're willing to do more to keep status quo. Very, very tough call. I I would say Uh, you're, you're probably right, but gosh, all of them seem hard. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that was something hard. I want to talk about something easy. Uh, Tim cook announced or Apple announced and Tim cook lauds a new iPhone success, smart battery case designed Uh, as easy to use. Right. So Apple introduced this battery case. And we've had battery cases for a long while from people like Unu and, and Mofi and others. But Apple's is a little bit different. First, it's from Apple. Um, second of all, it's got a giant hump on the back. Yep. And, and Cook says he probably wouldn't call it the hump, but I think we're going to have to all call it the hump. It's a hump. It's a hump, Tim. You can't change the, uh, it's the Humpty Dance definition Tim. of words reality distortion field is not strong with uh, tim cook (laughs) not yet anyway so instead of being a hard case like many of the other battery cases have been this is a flexible elastic case right a fluoroelastomer so it allows you to bend the top portion out of the way when you insert it and remove it at least part of it is yeah you you bend the top portion a little bit back over the hump yeah well well i don't think it bends all the way back it allows you know so it leans back like 30 degrees right I mean, it's a it's a nifty, nifty design, but it the hunchback is just oh god, I don't know. <laughs> so, what do, do you need the battery case first of all? I do not need the battery case, right? And Cook points out most users probably don't need this at all. Um, I'm when I travel to CES and I'm covering the show floor and I'm running my phone full on all the time. I use a battery brick. Mm-hmm. And that's only because the battery brick has a lot more milliamp hours than the battery case. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when I do it. And it's an exceptional case. It's not the the thing I want to have on my phone all the time. Right. So. Well, I mean, what's why they make this thing? What, what was the point of making this thing? If most users don't need it and most users definitely don't need it day to day. It could be a play to something down the road, maybe wireless charging, get people inured to the fact that they're having a semi hump on the back of their phone, um, or get, you know, uh, and I don't know if they, if, and when they start using inductive charging on the iPhone, they can release a case for back models mm-hmm. that can also use the inductive charging, but you'll need a case to do it smart charging case. Okay. So 
you're suggesting there's that that a rumor says, or you're making up a rumor that says, no, I'm making it up. <laughs> Mikey's rumor, ladies and gentlemen, Mikey's rumor says that there's a hump on the case, which also could contain wireless charging someday, if not today. And they introduced the wireless charging feature. You're already used to the idea of having a phone with a hump. Well, it doesn't have to be a hump, right? I mean, the, it could be like if you say you have the 6S, right? Yeah. And they release inductive charging with a 7, but you really want inductive charging on your 6S. Yes. You can buy a smart charging case or smart charger and then and, stick that on your 6S and have the inductive charging. But this is this is kind of interesting because Apple doesn't really do this whole retroactive stuff outside of software updates. Indeed. This is so, new Apple. Can I have the old Apple back? <sighs> I mean, no. you talk to Tim Cook about that and no. Johnny Ive. I don't no, know. I can't. All right. I don't know. It's a it's an okay product. I mean, uh, some people. I think it was uh, Neelay Patel mm. uh, floated the idea that they designed it as such to get around Mophie's patents, which uh, I don't think that's a credible line of reasoning, but. Or well, I haven't looked at the patents, so I don't know for sure. But I looked the, at the patents. I don't think it's a credible line of reasoning. Thank you. Um, but still, uh, the design is is okay. I mean, it's not a two piece design. You can slip it on and off. It also comes with a female lightning port on the bottom, which I think is key. Um, so it uh, it's a it's a throughput, right? Mm. Instead of you know, covering the lightning altogether. So, well, they were trying to get third parties to use the female lightning port and they, they offered it to them mm. and no one's really taken advantage of that. I mean, we know that the steel series has for the controller, but um, you know, where's the Mophie with the female lightning port? Yeah. Well, it could be, I mean, I, how much would it cost to, for the uh, bill of bill of materials, right? How much well, would con- it cost the for that? Connector is still the connector um, and you pay the license fee. So you're, you're adding, um, you're adding money. You're adding a, a, a How much you know, per coming from your uh, my numbers are going to be off because background. my may the time has passed and adjust for changed. inflation. Adjust for inflation. No, I'm just going to throw this out there that suppose the fee hypothetically, so that I'm not nailing it down, is a couple of dollars for the license that comes off the the having sold the device. Um, and this, I promise, guys, this is not accurate, but it's just proposed hypothetically and the cost of the connector is you know a dime and that's with the goodies that you have to have with the connector like the authentication bits that tell it i'm a charge case and i do data and right yep because it has to identify itself it's not just dumb power and um and also by the way i like having two amps right Mm. so that it, it can tell it that it wants the full fast charge so so you add you add money, right? You're adding um, a little more than a couple of bucks to it, and and, and in retail dollars, what does that translate to? Multiply by five. Indeed, ten wonder, bucks on top of your retail price, ish. <laughs> I wonder um, if the female port that they added on there. I wonder if it's hardwired to the uh, usual male connector, or is it like an add-on piece? I mean, um, I, I mean, does it come as a male, female? Uh, no, it's not sold that package. way. You have to have a board in between. Interesting. There, there's a PCB in there. 
So there's another extra. Well, because you have to have a PCB in there because besides having, it's not just direct pass through. It wouldn't be one-to-one wires. You, you need to have a charge controller because if you charge, so lithium polymer batteries, right? Lithium ion and lithium polymer batteries need to be charged in a specific way. You have to do it to manage heat. You need to do it to manage overvolts. You need to do it to manage mm-hmm. um, the the way in which you charge the cells within the battery so that they're charged evenly and not one faster or, or more than the others. And so you have a charge controller chip, and the charge controller regulates all of this to keep it all within that ideal spec so that your battery, A, doesn't explode, and B, lasts a very long time. That's why these batteries can last for about a year to two years before you see them dropping off a cliff under normal use, right? 300 cycles, 600 cycles. You know, 300 is where it's normal behavior. But after 300, you start to see the performance drop off of the battery. Yeah. And so the charge controller does that. So if you're building a battery case, you have to have the port to connect to the iPhone, the port to connect power to the battery case, whether that's micro or lightning or whatever. You have to have a charge controller. uh, There's parts here. And so you have to have a board inside. Hmm. I'm just looking at the uh, iFixit teardown. I think they just posted it. I haven't looked um, at that yet. Now you can tell if I'm if I'm right or if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. So they offload the they offload it to what looks to be a fairly big logic, well, daughter board, um, and then the uh, it looks like the lightning is one piece, like it's a male female connected, and then they just um, route the wires to uh, to the uh, logic board. On I don't know where does that go. Looks like it goes right right under the battery, unless it's a okay. fold. Over. So yeah. some of that is just placement, right? They're they're figuring out how to pack it in there, but the board itself looks very thin, right? It's a very short board, and it's between the battery and the connectors. Um, yeah, so it has like mm, let's see, so it has and a in usual... fact, it looks like it's not a hard pr- uh, printed circuit board. It's a flexible printed circuit cable. Yeah, it's a flex board, but it looks uh, like they have the usual lightning um ic charger hmm. the charging ic and then i don't know what's on that board though yeah they don't they don't name the stuff but it is a flex board yeah anyway yeah moving on well it's time what i'd like to talk to you about another sponsor another one of our sponsors today is casper mattresses and casper is an obsessively engineered american-made mattress at a shockingly fair price and you can get fifty dollars towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com insider and using the code insider so M- mikey you and i have used a ton of sleep monitors right yes we have and the reason why we do that is because we're really just trying to get better sleep yes for the most part yeah also so- i have a uh, addiction to technology that precludes me and admitting that is the first step but the point of 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 casper is that right you're if you're trying to get better sleep start with the mattress so they bring two different technologies together for better night's sleep they bring together latex foam and memory foam and they layer them so that you've got the right amount of sync the right amount of bounce and the right amount of support no matter how you sleep you know your side your back your front whatever and they've got a risk-free trial and return policy I wonder if they deliver to Hawaii. They must deliver to Hawaii. You got you to try one. One, would, one would hope. You got to try one. Going to lend me the money to buy it? Or? Well, they've got this this trial, free risk trial. Indeed. You Maybe I will. It. I'm saying. So they'll deliver it to you. You can try it for 100 days. And when you're not, you find out if you're happy or not. If you're not happy, they'll pick it right back up. So, you know, if you go into a store 
you get maybe a few minutes to try a mattress. You get to lie down, you get to sit in the store and feel really embarrassed about lying down on a mattress. And with Casper, you get to spend the whole night on it and find out how good it is. It's $500 for a twin-sized mattress and $950 for a king-sized. What, what size mattress do you sleep on, Mikey? Uh, I'm on a full. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would Don't have thought judge me. I, Don't judge me, Victor. I would have thought you would have slept on a queen. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so comparing, comparing that to industry averages for prices for mattresses, that's a pretty good price point. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash insider and using the code insider. Terms and conditions apply, but check it out. So you've got your Apple Watch, right? Yep. You wear it a lot? Every day. You think everyone else should have one? No. Really? Yeah. What are you saying? Um, It's not made for everyone. Uh, uh, you have to... That sounds superiority complex right there. No, it's uh, it's the opposite. You have to be dedicated to the iOS ecosystem. Uh, you have to you have to want what the watch uh, is good at providing, like uh, health data and stuff, and maybe not care so much about the things that you know it it's not so good at, like. Uh, I mean, even the native apps are slow, so you're going to have to make concessions for that. Hmm. So I, it's not really a fully baked product, I feel. Okay. Well, like 62% of people ag- disagree with you. 62% of the current owners are planning to gift Apple Watch to others. Now, this was a poll from um, a Reuters poll. Reuters and Ipsos published this on Tuesday. and And basically... Uh, 15,595 people said they were planning to give an Apple watch as a gift, which could, could be, you know, about 16 million units if you translate it into uh, census projections. Right. Yeah. Do you think those people are making a mistake? Do you think it's um, a good gift? No, I mean, well, yeah, I, it's a good gift. Uh, I mean, just like the iPod was a good gift. Mm-hmm. You, if you're, significant other or friend or family member enjoys technology and that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a great gift. Cool. Well, for those of you listening out there who do want to give it as a gift, Best Buy dropped the Apple Watch pricing to $249 with a wave of $100 discounts. And this was another story that Neil wrote. So Best Buy went ahead and is is putting it out there with $100 discounts. Um, B&H did this. There were other discounts like this during our Black Friday sales that we saw. So it looks like it's pretty easy, easy for uh, for people who are shopping for an Apple Watch to get a good deal on one. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's some people are saying that they're making room for new models, but I don't really see that. It's too early in the game for that. Maybe a month before. Mm-hmm. clear out channel inventory but i think apple just really wants to get watch and watch os this is uh, a bid to just get more people using it yeah they, they want to expand their their user base and that's a good way to do it i mean 250 is is about where i would peg the value of the sport mm-hmm. watch i think so what do you think do you have one i do not own one yet oh well now now's your chance well, maybe, maybe. I uh, Hearing you guys talk about how some things aren't exactly fully baked makes me hold off 
And it's, it's not because I think it's not good. It's because I want to make sure that I know what I want out of it and what to expect out of it. And I, I haven't felt a serious need for it yet. You know, yeah. I, I think my biggest use would be when I go grocery shopping, paying at the checkout with, with uh, Apple Pay. Mm-hmm. And I currently do that with the phone just fine. So I don't feel a compelling need to go get the watch to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's good for Apple Pay, obviously. Um, also good for notifications. Um and it's a really good health tracker. I do like the health tracking. It's really good. iOS 9.2 came out, or or I should say that, uh, was it released for everyone yet? Or has it just been released to developers as the final nope. gold master? No, no. Nope. Everyone got it? Yep. Cool. So that's one of the things that happens is that I, I have the developer account. And because I have the developer account, I sometimes uh, have a hard time telling if we're getting something a week early or if it's just, this is the release. But uh I installed 9.2. And for those of you who follow the podcast, that's big news because I have been on iOS 8.4.1 up until now. And uh, yeah, well, so I had a lot of trouble with iOS 9 when it was first released, but I am glad to say that 9.2 is awesome, that all of the things that I have difficulties with are completely fixed and I have no trouble and I'm totally behind it. Uh, there are a few wrinkles with it that people have noticed, but for the most part, the installing the 9.2 update should not pose a problem. It should solve a problem with the iPad Pro, causing the tablet to go black and stop responding to touch or button input. And it's really, really sharp. There yeah, were updates to uh, Apple Music. There were updates to a top stories section in news. Yeah. Uh, mail drop function for large mail attachments. Editor curated top stories. Mm. So and they're moving to curation now. Nice. iBooks was updated with 3D Touch. Yay. Yay. But I'm I'm happy with it. And I'm glad because there was a long time when I didn't want to install it. And I was kind of worried that, that Apple sort of lost their way on quality control on things. But this is good. I wonder if the iPad blackout is similar to... Because I'm getting uh same thing on my 6S from time to time. And I'm not sure exactly what triggers it. It seems to just... Uh, occur on its own. So it could be uh, uh, maybe an issue with push or some, some other backgrounding, uh, some other background uh, process. But I have, uh, I have been forced to hard reset my phone or hard restart my phone, not yeah. reset, hard restart my phone. And tell our users as a tip, how do you do that? I uh, just hold down the home and sleep wake buttons, also known as the power button together until you see the Apple logo pop up on your screen. And then you release them. Yep. Cool. About 15 seconds, more or less. About. Yep. Excellent. Well, that's a tip from Mikey Tips Campbell. (laughs) This has been the Apple Insider Podcast. We've been recording here on December 11th. And if Mikey suffers spontaneous blackouts and stops responding to touch, we'll be sure to tell you about it all next week on next week's Apple Insider Podcast. (laughs) 